Hi, and welcome to Economist on Zoom getting coffee. Our guest today is Professor Giovanni Perry. Giovanni is a professor of economics at the University of California, Davis. He's also a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER, and the co-editor of the very, very prestigious journal of the European Economic Association. He's in the editorial board of a number of other academic journals in economics, and he also founded and directs the UC Davis Global Migration Center. Giovanni's research has been fundamental in understanding the gains from immigration and the economics of immigration. He has been looking at the role of immigration on labor markets and productivity in the receiving countries. He has been looking also at policies for integration of migrants and refugees, and he's one of the best published academic in these topics, and, and I'm really pleased to have him as a guest. And without further ado, let's just really get into our conversation with him. Hi, Giovanni. Welcome to Economist on Zoom getting coffee. Hi, Danny. It's my pleasure to be here with you. So, well, first of all, you are probably a very good coffee drinker because of your roots. I am a heavy coffee drinker, but I am a also very open-minded coffee drinker. Of course, I drink Italian, but I drink American coffee, German coffee. Any coffee is good for me. But it does bother you when people drink coffee with milk in the afternoon. Even that, I have actually grown <laughs> to, to, to tolerate that too. I have, I have mollified on that side. So uh, if it's good coffee with, with milk in the afternoon, I, I'm, I'm open to that too. Anyway, Giovanni, is, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have you in the show because you know, I've been reading your work for a long time since I was a PhD student and I, I really enjoyed your insights and, and your research. I admit that I'm a big fan and I know that there's many people out there who are big fans of your work. And in particular, because, you know, I also work on migration topics and I, I used to say that economists have done a big disservice to the world when it comes to migration research to some extent, because for decades, we only focused on this very narrow question, whether our immigrants increasing salaries, decreasing salaries, increasing unemployment, lowering unemployment, and that was about it, right? And, and I think what I really like about your research, one of the many things that you really have been the first one with your co-authors to come and show, hey, you know, this story doesn't end a month afterwards or even a year afterwards. There's whole things that are happening in the economy in, in the medium and long term that make you see this from a very different perspective. In particular, I mean, I, I really enjoy your work on, on understanding how immigrants flowing into an economy can boost the occupational mobility for natives, like them moving to other careers or other occupations where they are at the end better off. Tell us a little bit more about this, this idea and how you come up with it and what are your main takeaways, you think? First of all, thank you, uh, Danny, for having me and for being interested in my research. This is uh, uh, great. This is what a researcher works for, to, to say something that is interesting to people. So my approach to immigration uh, since the beginning has been to try to understand a little bit better and open the black box of exactly as you said, when immigrants come into a new labor market, what happens? What happens to them? What happens to native? And how this arrival and the reaction that are generated by that are going to shape employment, wages, 
but also uh, productivity growth. At the beginning, I focused mostly on the impact of immigrant on native worker, and I will talk about this in a second. But then my research also went and looked at how firm respond to the arrival of immigrants. What do they do in response? How immigrants are also not only worker, they are entrepreneurs, they are innovators, they are scientists. And all these aspects of being immigrant is crucial in understanding their economic impact. Uh, But let's start uh, chatting a little bit about this uh, idea that you uh, mentioned. I've always tried to transform into economic jargon that idea uh, or that debate. Do immigrants do jobs that natives don't want to do or do they take jobs that uh, uh, are not there for natives? And the way in which I thought I translate this uh, it's very well combined with this new literature in labor economics that says that uh, what is relevant about people is what type of tasks, what type of things they do in producing, in helping produce things. And if you do look at the labor market this way, you notice that immigrants do a specific set of tasks, fill a specific set of jobs. If they are not college educated, they tend to do relatively manual, physical intensive type of job because, uh, again, in this early paper, I said that they don't speak the language as well. And so initially they try to do this, they tend to do this uh, type of jobs. And uh, in a jargon that economists understand, I said that immigrants have a comparative advantage in doing this job. And so they doing this job increases the efficiency of distribution of tasks in the economy. And native, as a consequence, are pushed towards jobs which are a little bit more you know, communication, interaction intensive. And then, you know, I told a lot of stories, which are very true in the U.S., that uh, if you have uh, a state like California with a lot of immigrants, um, you know, a lot of jobs like uh, gardener, housekeepers, uh, restaurant uh, helper are done by immigrants. But then you also need a related job as a manager of a restaurant, accountant of the company that uh, does landscaping. And those are jobs which native were progressively pushed into uh, as a consequence of the inflow. So this is a specialization along the task uh, line. This uh, generated this uh, not direct competition, but rather working together complementarity type of uh, story. And over time, you could observe really that native would move to careers in places where immigrants are, which are a little bit more intensive in uh, occupation and task that uh, are communication, interaction rather than uh, manual. There was one channel that I studied. I studied it uh, a lot on the US. Uh, but then I also looked a little bit at European countries. And uh, maybe one of the most known paper on this is this paper on refugees arriving in Denmark and being distributed in, in municipalities, and then being able to follow what Danish less educated worker would do in response and see that they increase the complexity of their occupation. They moved to occupation, which were a little bit more intensive in these uh, communication skills. And as a consequence, they actually increased a little bit their wages, increased their 
probability of employment because these jobs pay a little bit more and uh, they are uh, more effective. And with this very rich uh, data in Denmark, I could, uh, we could, uh, with my Danish co-author, uh, Mette Foged in particular in this one, we could show how the inflow of these uh, refugees uh, did not really hurt the less educated Danish, but move them on this trajectory towards uh, um, more complex occupation and better wages, in fact. I think another super interesting thing from th that I learned from your research is the distinction we have in our head between high-skilled and low-skilled or unskilled immigrants. For right, That term is not, uh, maybe I don't like it as much, maybe it's more high-skill and fundamental workers. I think there's much more consensus on the fact that, you know, high-skill immigrants bring a lot of gains to the economy. There's less consensus on immigrants kind of on the on the lower scale of schooling or et cetera. Whereas I think that both your research and COVID-19 showed us the importance of these immigrants, like when you look at the U.S. and maybe in other countries too, like on, on keeping the economy alive. And now we're in a period where it's clear to everyone that, that the U.S. Is, is in a major shortage of workers and, and particularly also workers in occupations that immigrants tend to, to be a high share. And, and you know, I think, I think there your research is very insightful in saying like, hey, you know, these immigrants can also make all of us better off and do make all of us better off. Yes. So that's very interesting, actually, what has happened in the last couple of years with COVID and post-COVID. So I think that you're right. It has always been easier to convince people that the STEM, the science, technology, engineering and math type of immigrants, of which the U.S., gets many, 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 and they are fundamental in science that this group is innovator, brings idea, and so uh, we will continue to want them. I think what we have realized in the last uh, two, three years after COVID, but I think many people who were observing the economy were seeing this before, is that uh, the supply of worker to do a lot of this uh, in place, so jobs that need to be done in place, in presence, let's say, relatively manual with some other components, but like, as you say, restaurant, uh, child care, elderly care, home uh, attendance, agriculture. These uh, are jobs for which, uh, number one, the supply of young Americans uh, with relatively low education that typically uh, we're, going, we're doing this is shrinking. Uh, and where immigrants have provided uh, those uh, uh, typical uh, skills that are, are needed uh, for this type of jobs. And so COVID has given a further push in this direction. Some of the Americans who were doing some of those jobs retired a little earlier, and in any case, they would have retired anyway. And so we are in a situation in which there is an imbalance between the demand for people doing these jobs and the supply. And as you said, shortages, which is the result, which means that in some sector like hospitality, hotel, restaurant, we there are many more companies looking for a worker than workers, is generating this awareness that, huh, uh, where are we going to get these workers? And I hear many people say, Yeah, these are the typical job that immigrants would do and that uh, Im where immigrants can contribute in an important way uh, to the U.S. economy. It's a little uh, incoherent, the, re the reaction I find to this, because on one hand, I think some people are worried that uh, these jobs, uh, you know, there are shortages and they are uh, hard to uh, fill. On the other, you don't really uh, hear of uh, immigration policies that would allow this worker to come in. And a large part of this job is currently done in the U.S. by 
uh, immigrants who are not documented and even just getting regularized that part of the population seems to be very problematic. In a way, Americans want somebody to do that job, but they don't want to look at the fact that there are immigrants who are doing the job. So we need to find a structure to allow these immigrants in to let them work regularly, in a sense, in these type of jobs. And uh, yes, my work uh, says that, uh, you know, in these sectors, actually immigrants, for some sector, immigrants are going to be very important if we want to continue to grow in construction in uh, uh, personal services. Um, I also have come to see after COVID that all this uh, um, kind of reasoning that makes a lot of sense from an economic point of view of uh, encouraging potentially more immigration or solving the problem doesn't correspond to uh, a similar policy drive uh, to say, okay, what can we do with our immigration system that goes that way? If now is not the time, uh, I don't know when, when it's going to be, right? I, I made some calculation uh, based on data out there that the number of immigrants that the U.S. has deported over the past 10 years is almost 1 million people, like 800,000, 900,000. Sounds right. Sounds right. Coincidentally, it's kind of the same amount of of shortages <laughs> of jobs right. uh, that you have in certain sectors. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, it, it will be uh, it, it will be interesting to think. But going back, sort of, to the contribution, I really think uh, that an economy like the American one, which where uh, you know uh, people are aging, but the demand for some of these services is going to stay high and increase, uh, would be and and this after COVID, when these shortages are uh, are apparent, would be the ideal place. Let me say one thing though, in terms of policy, it's not that the U.S. is an exception. Many, many rich countries are also don't want to face this. There are some countries which have chosen, essentially, in order to avoid immigrants, to have a much more complicated way of managing the problem of aging, the problem of shortages. One is Japan, for instance, where these problems are very acute and the, poly, the immigration policy are very restrictive still. Uh, and even Europe is not yet embracing this idea that the demographic decline, the demand for some jobs which are not going to be filled will call logically for an economic uh, reason and the demographic reason to have more immigrants has not really uh, embraced this economic uh, or demographic approach. So the U.S. is not the only country where seeing immigrants as an economic opportunity, it's a bit problematic, especially for the less educated ones. That's a very interesting thought that takes me to, to another set of questions that I wanted to talk to you in, in, in the time we have left. Sometimes I feel that the, the questions about immigration are very binary. Are immigrants going to increase or decrease? Are they going to help or not help? Whereas maybe the right questions would be, what, what are the conditions or what are the policies that will actually help immigrants maximize their potential and therefore maximize the gains for everybody? So I, I know you've been working a lot on that, because, but can you give us a landscape of what are the right questions in that space? Because there's so much to do there. And, and I know you've put a lot of thought into that. Let me say two quick things before and then I jump on this to frame this a little bit better. So number one, when looking at integration of immigrants, I've also started looking at this category, which are refugees, which seems to me very interesting in the, even in the U.S. in the following sense. 
Um, the U.S. has been one very big receiver of refugees. And in some years, uh, they have received hundreds of thousands of refugees. If you think of the Vietnamese refugees, if you think of the ex-Soviet Union, the Yugoslavian refugees. And that could be actually a very interesting group, uh, even for a lot of this uh, type of uh, consideration on uh, uh, integration and labor market success. Uh, Jennifer Hunt has this uh, recent policy proposal to modify the immigration laws. Jennifer Hunt, who teaches at Rutgers. And I think she uh, correctly says that if the U.S. could found, could push for its uh, immigration system to be based on uh, more on employment need and more on humanitarian, so refugees, we will really cover a lot that needs to be covered on most uh, grounds. And here let me talk about refugees. Refugees are a very interesting group because they arrive very often in a difficult situation, in a traumatized situation. In many cases, U.S. citizens rally around them because they understand that they come from crisis and the U.S. can help in this. But then they can become... uh, also potential uh, potential important asset on the labor market, on the job market, or on the, in the economy uh, in general. And what are the conditions for this to happen? Um, in this uh, study, in this research that I'm doing, which is based uh, mostly in Europe and, and in Denmark, there seems to be two aspects which are critical for the integration and success of refugees. On one, I think the U.S. fares incredibly well, which is giving access to these refugees to labor market, to employment, relatively early, soon, and in, and in labor markets which are active and growing. And I think this has been one very good thing that in the U.S. has happened much more than in other country, countries, that all immigrants, the overwhelming majority of immigrants, including the undocumented, have had an employment rate and access to the labor market, which has been very large and, and very prompt. So refugees in location, in labor market, which are growing and which are hiring with low unemployment rate, seems in the long run to do uh, much better. However, in the short run, it seems also like there are some basic skills that the refugees should be provided with that are going to affect very much their long-run integration. And in our studies, we singled out these language schools. These, the language schools are often the first approach of a refugee to the not just the language, but the civilization, the network of the, of the country where they go uh, too. And so when adult refugees come in a place, in order for them uh, to integrate in the first couple of years, they do need to do some intensive immersion into schools, which they can teach them language, teach them the local habit. And in Denmark, comparing uh, in a, in a reform uh, that introduced much more language teaching, comparing people who were um, qualified and didn't qualify for this reform, we really found that in the longer time, this gave access to better job, more complex occupation, higher income, more mobility inside Denmark, more formal education as an adult, also people who better requalify themselves. And so uh, being in active labor markets and at the beginning, having some language uh, training seemed to be very good a point to make refugee then do those jobs. So when I say before, we've said, uh, you know, immigrant naturally specialize in more manual type of job. Yes, but if they know a little bit of language, they can do jobs which are still, uh, you know, assisting the elderly, assisting the, chi- the children, but they find it, uh, you know, easier. They can be more productive o- also in those jobs. So that seemed to me 
refugees in the US uh, looked uh, in, in the perspective of also taking jobs and also uh, sort of being an important part of the immigration uh, in the US. Uh, that seems to me a very interesting, I would say almost exciting perspective in which the US can do something really for the world displaced and benefit its own economy at the same time. And yet, and yet we don't, they don't do it, right? And yet, the number of refugees we have is smaller. But I would say there are a couple of things that the U.S. has been doing, which to me are very interesting. One is this, uh, I don't know if you have been keeping up, this private sponsoring of refugees uh, in, the, in the U.S. I, I just think that that combines a lot of the strengths of the U.S. The idea is that it's not anymore an agency in a place that says, yeah, we will start uh, uh, help these refugees in the first year, help find a job, help learning. But it's a group of citizens uh, of the U.S. So in this, you leverage the real power of the U.S. society, which are a lot of people with a lot of private initiative, who I think will be very effective in not only uh, starting and teaching some of the skill, but wanting these refugees to be integrated, to be successful, to be entrepreneurs on one end, to be doctors if they were doctors in their place of origin. And so they will see better the need of the local community and they will connect this better. So although the numbers are still small, this just started in 2023, this idea that a group of citizens could sponsor a refugee. But seems to me the seed of the way of thinking about this, a little bit out of the box, a little bit different, uh, maybe uh, letting the society um, uh, generate some of this uh, uh, you know, connection that will help integrate is even better than having just a policy that says, oh, you need to integrate those people. Right. No, I agree. And, and I think that the interesting thing there in particular is the, is the ability of introducing refugees into networks. If we could test that, it would probably be as strong as language or, or other things, right? Because I think, you know, for me and for you, well, at least I'm going to speak for myself, it's, it's hard to find a job. <laughs> I mean, in general, for everybody, it's, hard to, it's really hard to find a job. So for a refugee who doesn't know the local communities there, it's even harder, right? So, so the power of a network, it can take you a long way. And I think that the power, so the, uh, the power of the right network is even stronger in the following sense, that very often refugees, when they arrive, sometimes they rely on the network of uh, people from their own country, that they are the one who are, they are connected better. And sometimes this help, but sometimes, uh, right, the network of your own people only uh, is going to keep you on a set of maybe job, on a set of, which is a little bit, separate, almost, I want to say, segregate with the rest. But a network of local people who can connect you with the job, who can help in this area, is actually very good. We studied this policy in Denmark, which I also thought was very interesting and very good, in which local municipality and local employers, actually, uh, when a refugee arrived, would have presented to the refugee a list of jobs for which there was a shortage in that municipality. So they say, we cannot find a person to uh, clean our offices or to, um, uh, you know, to uh, help us uh, in, uh, a, a, as a plumber. They will present this list of shortages. And if the refugee would accept to take one of those jobs, then they would quickly train the refugee and quickly give this job to the uh, refugee. This was called industry package uh, and was done on the Syrian refugee when they arrived. And I thought that that was a very interesting, and we are evaluating that it seemed to be quite successful in finding employment and in giving them employment after one or two years. Uh, that's the longest that we can go so far. But we thought that what was interesting is that this type of program 
not only would solve some of these shortage because we'll connect directly uh, the refugee with the shortage, but also will immediately identify a refugee as somebody who can be useful in a local community to solve an actual uh, job problem and give them an entry into the labor market uh, with an employer who is willing to support. So again, this is private in part, employer uh, supported by public, but this type of, I think, uh, initiative and ideas, if scaled up, can be quite quite effective, I think. Well, that's fascinating, Giovanni, and thank you so much. I, I do want to advertise your summer school of economics of migration. It's going to happen with the University of California, Alianza in Mexico. Yes, in Mexico City, where we have a wonderful location, this Casa de California in Mexico City, which is a beautiful place. And we are open to application from all U.S. and Mexican students, PhD students. But even if you are a master's student, a bit advanced or a postdoc, uh, please do it. And it's going to happen from uh, September 6th to 10th. But the, the applications are open now until the end of uh, March. So please uh, go online. So this is uh, Summer School Economics of Migration Alliance. UCMEX and Global Migration Center. It's April 15th, so you still have almost a month uh, to apply. All right. Well, Giovanni, thank you so much for, for your time. This, is, this was a fascinating conversation and, and you know, we look forward to seeing what all your, uh, your next research projects are going to teach us uh, more than what we already learned from you. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. It was a great pleasure. It's always fun to talk. Thanks, everybody, for listening in to another episode of Economist on Zoom Getting Coffee. And please, if you liked what you're hearing, share it, give us a, a rating, and maybe even leave a comment. This can really help us to get the voices of these economists to more and more people. So I want to thank also our producer and editor, Adrián Velasco Martinez, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>